Thank you so much, Marceline, and thank you, Sarah and Aaron, leading us in worship all to the praise of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Take your Bibles, if you would, find the New Testament book of Matthew, chapter 22. We're going to be reading verses 15 through 22. We're going to camp there. That's where we're going to pitch our tent and be ready. We may stroll through a few other scriptures as well, but they'll be either on the screen or I'll say them maybe well enough to where you can listen as well. But Matthew chapter 22 will be our place as well. Thank you for being here today. It is, it is good to see you. This may be the most we have had since we have started back and gone to two services for our first service. Now, sometimes at the second service, we have as many as we can have here that uh, uh, with spacing provided, we've had to use overflow rooms uh, sometimes. Hey, we hope that's the case every time. But if you're online and listening and you're wondering whether there's a place for you, we have a place for you. Two services, four overflow rooms. And if you don't mind sitting near the preacher, that uh, we've got space for you down here as well. The back gets pretty filled, well filled up pretty quickly, but uh, we're glad you're here today. And I'm sure that getting an extra hour of sleep did not hurt. As a matter of fact, we're going to declare time change Sunday every, next Sunday as well. We'll just do it every Sunday and be ready uh, for that as we move forward. Matthew chapter 22. This now is the Word of God. I'm going to ask if you, if you would, would you please stand in honor of the reading of God's holy word. Verse 15 reads, Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in his words. And they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true. Teach the way of God truthfully. You do not care about anyone's opinion, for you're not swayed by appearances. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius, and Jesus said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, Therefore render to Caesar's the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And when they heard it, they marveled, and they left him and went away. May the Lord bless the reading of his holy word today. And you may be seated. The governor of Massachusetts was campaigning for his second term in office. He arrived at a church barbecue supper one, late one afternoon to which he was invited. It had been a long day. He was fairly hungry that day. And as he came through, the serving lady handed him a plate with one piece of chicken. He started to get another piece of chicken, and she said, I'm sorry, you can only have one piece of chicken. He said, do you know who I am? I'm the governor of this state, and I want another piece of chicken. She looked at him square in the eye and said, sir, do you know who I am? I'm the lady in charge of the chicken. You best be moving along. <laughs> Today, we're going to discover, and we're going to talk about the one who is really in charge, and hopefully, before we are through, we are convinced about the sovereignty and the power of God that regardless of what takes place, if God's purposes will not be thwarted and will not be changed. God's purposes will prevail. The question that remains for us today, will we be a part of what God is doing? Will we be a part of kingdom building? Now you may be tired of talking politics, so we're not necessarily going to be, this is not going to be a political talk or to convince you to vote one way or the other. But we're going to look at this passage along with a couple of others to determine a Christ-like view of government and our responsibilities as followers of Jesus to the state and the country in which we live. I thought this might be a good week for that. But I want you to notice 
the week in which Jesus was asked this question. As a matter of fact, if you got your Bibles open, you might look to the chapter previously, Matthew 21, in verse 1. What do we find happening there? It is the triumphal entry that is taking place. So we find and we know that this is the last week of Jesus before the cross. It is what we now would determine would be Holy Week. And on this particular day, in Matthew chapter 22, there's going to be four different questions. For the last time, we're going to find those who are coming to question Jesus or wanting to trip him up because they're wanting to arrest him. It is coming to this conclusion to where Jesus is going to be taken to the cross, but he's not going to be tricked into taking to the cross. He's going to be giving himself to be taken to the cross. But several religious groups will challenge Jesus and ask questions and hope to trip him up and have reasons to arrest him or at the very least have the crowd to turn against him. So this is the first of the four questions in Matthew chapter 22. It's the only one that we'll look at today. But notice two groups that come together. There were the disciples of the Pharisees and the Herodians who were normally bitter rivals, if not enemies. Politically, the Pharisees would have been considered in the Jewish life, in Jewish government, the far right wing as strict followers of the religious law. Not just the Bible, you understand, but many man-made laws in which they made up in order to appear more religious. But to ask the question, the Pharisees did not go themselves, according to Matthew, but they sent disciples of the Pharisees. Well, maybe they thought they could trip them up by sending disciples instead of them going themselves. After all, Jesus had had many run-ins with Pharisees already. In the Gospel of Luke that tells this very story, it says that they just sent spies in so that they might entangle Jesus in his words. Now keep in mind, if you call somebody a Pharisee today, you're liable to get hit in the mouth. Or you understand that when somebody says you have a Pharisaical attitude, it means that you have, probably have a judgmental attitude. But in that day, that if you called somebody a Pharisee, well, they would consider it a compliment because they supposedly followed strict adherence to the law to hear the Pharisees tell it. Jesus would probably call that fake news. But Jesus did not think favorably of the Pharisees because as religious leaders of the Jewish people, they were not pointing people to God. Instead, they were pointing people away from God, mostly pointing people to themselves. In the next chapter, in chapter 23, Jesus gives seven woes to the scribes and Pharisees for misleading God's people as the ones who were to be the leaders of God's people. The Herodians, on the other hand, they were not winning any popularity contest. They were Jewish people, Jewish leaders who were following Rome and the Roman government. They particularly supported Herod, Herod Antipas, the governor of uh, Galilee. And thus they were called the Herodians because of that. Now, why would they support the oppressive Roman government as Jewish people is unknown. It's un unknown. We can't completely understand that. We're too many millenniums maybe away from when that took place to completely understand why they would do that except for some self-promotion politically. Well, it, it's kind of like I imagine when people look back on 2020 and ask why we did some of the things that we did or that we are doing, I'm convinced the only recourse we'll be able to say, you would have to have been there in order to understand. And while the Pharisees or the disciples of the Pharisees were to the far right in Jewish political and religion, the Herodians were to the left. Hardly two people could be so different. Maybe you've heard the phrase, politics makes for strange bedfellows. 
Well, they came together for a common cause. They both hated Jesus. And they wanted to trip Jesus up and either be able to arrest him or, as we've said, cause the crowds to turn on him. And their strategy was pretty good. Ask about their taxes. Now, Jesus was not running for election, but any political candidate has to hit the tax issue. Surely his answer would divide the people. And the Jews were under an oppressive Roman government. It's estimated that the Jewish people would give in taxes, including the Roman tax and the Jewish tax and the temple tax, anywhere from 40 to 50% of their income. And the Pharisees, well, they were against the taxes, though they probably paid those, particularly the Roman government. The Herodians, who were Jews, who favored the tax because they had a political agenda and sided with Rome. But this is key for us. This is key to understanding. Jesus was not interested in popularity, political correctness, or putting people in their place. He was interested in the salvations of persons. Let me say that again. We'll put it on your screen. Jesus was not interested in popularity, political correctness, or putting people in their place. He was interested in the salvation of persons. And I say persons and not people because God does not save nations. He saves individuals. Just be key to everything that we're talking about. The question they asked about Texas allowed Jesus to teach eternal truths to the people there that day. And it's allowing him to be able to teach eternal truths to you and me as well. So we're going to talk about lessons about authority and eternal consequences. First of all, we need to understand that followers of Jesus recognize government authority. Followers of Jesus recognize government authority. Now, this passage alone may not tell us all we need to know about a biblical Christ-like attitude toward the government and voting and politics. Others that will help, I've listed there in your notes as well. Romans 13 and 1 Timothy 2 and from 1 Peter chapter 2 as well. Romans 13 verse 1 teaches us that government is established by God. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except from God. And those that have been exist have been instituted by God. Sometimes as we read that we might think that might seem hard to swallow. But it helps us to remember that Christians are not above the government. We're to submit to it. And just because the government said to, or not just because the government said to, but because our Lord said to. Now, Jesus always gives the most appropriate answer in the best way possible. And he gave the ruling authority, which happened to be Rome, its place in authority. And it was an oppressive government. Let me, let me ask you this question. How do you hope candidates answer questions about your taxes? Now, some people feel different ways, I'm sure. I'm just telling you how I feel. I hope the government does more with less of my money. I don't know if everybody feels that way, but that's how I feel. They thought that they were painting Jesus into a corner. So they come to him and they address him as rabbi. Perhaps false respect that they were giving him. He said, we know that you're going to tell us what you think regardless of what anyone else says. You're going to speak the truth. You don't care about anybody's opinion or about anybody's appearance and you're going to tell us the truth. Well, they were, they were being condescending and hypocritical. How do we know? Because Jesus said they were. But they thought that they were setting him up, and they expected one answer or the other. If they said, if Jesus had answered, yes, pay your taxes, well, people would have probably, that were following him at that time, and even on that week, probably would have turned against him at that point, because if they were expecting Jesus to be a Messiah, it was to be a political Messiah. It was to help them 
get away from the oppressiveness of Rome, not to submit to Rome. If he said no, which may have been what they were hoping for, told the crowd not to pay their taxes, well, it was just one text or tweet away from telling a Roman official and Jesus would be arrested as a traitor or an insurrectionist. Well, the lesson the crowd got that day, we're getting today, was not just in his words, but was in how Jesus answered and what he did. Matthew tells us in verse 18 that he said, he, Matthew tells us that he's aware of their malice. I mean, he's aware of their spite and their hatred. And he even said to them, why do you test me, you hypocrites? Now, right there, they probably should have done it, dug a hole and jumped in. But what did Jesus say next? He says, show me the money. Well, he actually said, show me the coin, the coin used for tax. Now, I want you to please picture in your mind how what's going on here and what happens. This group of Pharisees, they're disciples of Pharisees, and Herodians are still thinking they've got the perfect political paint Jesus in the corner question. So quickly they reach for their wallet or their money bag and they find a coin. They bring Jesus a denarius. Now, Jesus could have gotten the coin from anywhere. could have got it from one of the other disciples. Judas was the keeper of the money box. He was the treasurer. He could have brought a coin there, though John tells us that Judas was really a thief and always was a thief. He could have uh, gotten it from the mouth of a fish. You remember that one time Jesus needed a coin for a tax and he sent one of the disciples fishing and put up a fish, a fish that had a coin in it. But why do you suppose that he particular from those who are questioning him, you give me a coin to show that they were using Roman coins. They must recognize some authority and owe them something. Jesus asked the question, whose picture is stamped on this coin? It's Caesar. And Jesus said, well, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. Sometimes, instead of render, sometimes the translations will say give, but render means to pay back, to give a debt. Taxes are not a gift to the government. They're a debt we owe for services rendered, fire and police and roads, public education, even to help the indigent. Is it always fair? Certainly not. Jews were heavily taxed with no vote and no voice to have their say. We do have it much better today. We do live still live in the greatest country on the planet. So to submit authority to the government is also to trust God. Except where the government is in direct violation to God's law, we're to follow. Doesn't mean that we submit blindly. The next lesson on duty shows we have a greater authority. But why do we have a responsibility to follow, submit to the government? Notice what else we have a responsibility for. 1 Timothy chapter 2 says we have a responsibility to pray for our government and leaders. 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 4 says this, First of all then, I urge that supplication, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings, and for all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good. It's pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to knowledge of the truth. We pray for our leaders and according to this passage so that we might be able to have peace and so that others might come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior, in particularly those who are in government. Also, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through 15 says, Be subject to the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor supreme, to the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil 
and to praise those who do the good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Daniel Webster said, Whatever makes men good Christians makes men good citizens. We're to have the mind of Christ. We're to, have the, we're to think like Jesus from a biblical perspective. More people will be one to Christ by being a good citizen. More people will be one to Christ by being a good citizen. Now we have a direct word from Jesus on taxes, but it says much more. Jesus says something about his authority and eternal consequences. For he says followers of Jesus are to recognize God's authority, not just the government authority, but God's authority. Not only must each individual recognize God's authority, so should every nation. Just as no nation or no government exists unless God allows, no government and no nation continues where all evidence of God is left out. History has proved it time and time again. What are some of the things that we as Christians in America are to be promoting? Regardless of who is the president, regardless of what's happening in our government today, what are the same, some of the things that we're to be promoting? Just give you two or three of those. Could be more, but one of those is sanctity of life. From conception to the grave, we're to continue to promote. Biblical marriage, another of those biblical marriage and family. Instituted by God, marriage instituted by God long before the government. And number three, just to name three things, love for all people, which includes equal justice and equal opportunity. Love for all people. Now, these are things that we're pursuing. Sometimes these are used as political tools, but followers of Jesus have a responsibility to promote these no matter what. The church worldwide is a nation without borders. It will remain a powerful force long after this nation that we are living in now. Scripture tells us the gates of hell shall not prevail against God's church. Well, if we can promote these, these things that we've talked about, sanctity of life, biblical marriage and family, love for all people, if we can promote these through prayer, through the vote, through involvement, all the better. Whatever happens on Tuesday may be important, but regardless of the outcome, do not despair and do not overstress the importance. Do we really think that God is in charge? Understand, we do not allow God to have authority over the world and over the government. However, you must simply trust that he is in charge of all things. We're to recognize that he's in charge. We're to join in to where he's working. The, uh, the coin that they gave Jesus that day had the picture of Caesar Tiberius with an inscription that said that he was the son of God and claimed he was deity. I think we may have a picture of the very coin that Jesus may have had in his hand that day. Uh, a coin just such as this. It's called the tribute penny, used for a tax. And on the other side of the coin, the back side that you see there, this may have been a picture, or if not, this was not, Jesus may have had one that had the picture of the high priest of the Roman Empire. We would think that Jesus would pick up a coin that talked about the Roman Romans having the high priest or about Caesar Tiberius being the son of God, you think we'd, Jesus would pick that up and say, blasphemy, because it was. By the way, I saw this coin for sale that you can get on eBay or Etsy 
for $12,500 and thought about buying it. But I thought this Christmas is coming, and if you want to buy something for your preacher, don't feel you've got to come up with the whole thing. I've got $25 set aside already for that. Uh, Jesus quickly made a distinction. Render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, but unto God what is God's. The only true God of which Caesar has no part. Caesar's authority falls far, far, far short of God's authority. And even Caesar's authority was under the authority of God. Render, if they were to give what was owed to Caesar, and perhaps that was a portion, then render what is owed to God. What's owed to God? Everything that we have, all that we are. Matthew chapter 22, the very verses that we're reading, we have the Pharisees coming to Jesus on the fourth question, and it, it, it answers the question, what is old God? Verses 34 through 37 says this, But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, three questions had already been asked, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him, Teacher, what's the greatest commandment in the law? You know the answer. And he said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Here's the ironic thing. They asked the right person the right question. I mean, if you have a question about taxes, if you have a question about the government, about politics, well, you ought to ask the Lord. But their motives were wrong. Most people want to know their duty. I mean, whether you're going to follow it or not, we'd like to know, well, what is it that we should be doing? But most often the Lord may not reveal everything that you are to be doing until your heart is right and that you're already willing to do that. On June 11, 1963, Governor George Wallace stood in front of the doorway of the University of Alabama as the first black student sought to enroll. Not long before his death, he met with one of those black men who was one of the students, and he apologized. And he said, it's not racial, it was political. It was the policy of the day. Well, followers of Jesus are not seeking opinions or to be politically correct as much as we are to seek truth. Live under God's authority. And in fairness, I've heard George Wallace Jr. and others speak of his repentance, the Governor Wallace's repentance and of his salvation experience. God's Word tells us God puts governments in place for His purposes. We, we're to obey the authority. The only time or exception when obedience to civil authority requires is when it's been disobedience to, to God's Word. The holy fear of God must be greater than the fear of government. We have examples of that. Acts chapter 4, Peter and the other disciples were arrested because they were preaching Jesus' resurrection from the dead. And when they were brought before the Jewish rulers in Acts chapter 4, verses 18 and following, it says, Then they called them in again and asked them and commanded them not to speak or to teach all, all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to listen to him? You be the judge. But as far as of us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and what we have heard. They were threatened, and then they were released. Acts chapter 5, they were thrown in prison again, this time before the council. And in verses 28 through 29, it says this, We gave you strict orders not to teach in the name, he said, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than men. Many people will do what's right in the law for fear of punishment, the punishment from a government, though it can be corrupted as authorized by God. 
we as individuals, we've read earlier, particularly in 1 Peter chapter 2, that we are not instruments of God's wrath, but sometimes the government can be. Even being a good citizen is a test of living by faith. When God permits people to be in power, they may be good, they may be evil, they may be weak, they may be strong, they may be believers, they may be lost. But God permits all government to rule because he has a purpose to fulfill and he's able to fulfill his purpose even through their misrule. It doesn't mean that it matters. It doesn't matter if we vote or if we don't vote or who we vote for, it does. It doesn't mean that we should not get involved. We should. But this we must believe in every government. As long as God allows, God has his purpose, his way, and he's moving his plan forward. We have a greater obligation as Christians and as a general rule under most governments. If we do not want to fear the government, do what's right and what's good and obey the law, but recognize God's authority over all. This year, as we approach November the 3rd, I don't know that this has happened before. I don't remember it in the past, but some of our faith leaders have actually recommended not voting for either candidate for president, neither the Democratic nor the Republican candidate, saying that neither is a valid candidate, either on character or on issues. And they've either recommended not to vote at all or to write a name in instead. Some of our faith leaders, some that you've heard of and even know by name. My human response is, what well, seems like a slap in the face maybe to my dad who served in the military and others who have fought or who continue to fight for our freedoms and democratic way of life. Most of the world do not have a chance to vote. Your opportunity to vote could be taken away. As followers of Jesus, pray before you vote. Hope that you have been praying. We're going to pray before we leave today. But you want to pray before you go into that voting booth or you send that ballot out. And let your, be vote, let your vote be a demonstration that you know God's still in charge. Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher, said, we are now called upon to exercise one of the privileges and duties which go with liberty. Let no man be neglectful in it. Every God-fearing man should give his vote with as much devotion as he prays. And yes, sometimes people can choose the wrong leader. But God's purpose and his plan remain steadfast. God's power is greater than any government or leader. Consider one leader by the name of Octavian. He began to rule at an early age and he had one goal in mind and that was to be the conqueror of the world. He eliminated any person or any rival or ruler that got in his way. He ruled people that did not want to be ruled by him. He was the most oppressive ruler in history. Yet, if anyone came against him, they would be persecuted, prosecuted, or executed. By the time he was 60, he ruled the known world from England to Africa to Asia. He could lift his finger and the world would go scrambling, and one day he did. He had the greatest military force in history up to that time, a half million soldiers at his beck and call, but his military took money. So one day he decided to take the census of his kingdom in order to get taxes, and so he sent everyone back to their home 
town to be counted and taxed. By the way, they changed his name to Caesar Augustus. Augustus meaning the majestic one. You've heard me tell this story at Christmas time. Remember that Augustus, Caesar Augustus, claimed not only that he was king of the world, but also he was to be worshipped as a god. And you remember Luke chapter 12 and verse, Luke chapter 2 and verse 1 where it says, As it came to pass in those days there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. Who set the wills for Mary and Joseph to be, have baby Jesus born in Bethlehem? Was it Caesar? Not hardly. He's still using leaders today. He's still using leaders, even pagan leaders and governments today to do his bidding. Be convinced that no matter what, God's in charge and he's at work to fulfill his purpose. Also be convinced that your purpose is not to help America to become a better way of living or not to be sure that you and that those around you can pursue the American dream. That's not your purpose as a follower of Jesus. In fact, you have one purpose and you have one mission and your purpose is to bring glory to your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Your mission is to introduce as many people to Jesus as possible and to bring more and more people to be able to go to heaven with you. And this will not be popular, what I'm about to say. But if the Lord needs to take down America in order to be able to fulfill that purpose and that mission so be it. Ah, oh, but I'm praying. It is my hope and it is my prayer that there will be a great awakening and there will be a great revival in our nation like has not been seen before and more and more people come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior and that you and I will be able to be a part of it. But also you need to know followers of Jesus recognize God's authority or God's image stamped on and in you. Almost every coin, there's an image usually of someone in authority. When God made you, he stamped on you his image and created you in the image of God. He is to have ultimate authority in your life. But it was God's choice that you choose to give him lordship over your life. It's the only thing around, including the government. It's the only thing that has been made that has a choice, and that's you and me. We have the choice to make Jesus and to give him authority over us and to be stamped in the image of God and to give him the image not only on us but in us because of Christ and giving God authority over you and over me is due him. Do you, do you remember the game show Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Is that still on? You know, it's been on for a while. It used to come on like every night or something. But I remember it's been some time back kind of catching part of that show and, it, and someone had made it to the million-dollar question. This is the question. See if we can get it up here. The question is, on which coin were the words in God we trust first stamped? Here are the choices. See if you know. Was it the one cent? Was it the two cent? Was it the five cent or was it the silver dollar? Now, I don't know how I knew this, but I actually, maybe I'd read it recent, just before this had happened, but I knew the answer. Fellow had made it to the million dollar question, and he'd already used all his lifelines. He couldn't phone a friend, he couldn't poll the audience. What's the other one? 50 50. He couldn't get to the leave two. 
And so he didn't know the answer. You know, of course, they bring that out, but I happen to know. The answer is, which coin were the words in God we trust first stamped? It was the two-cent coin. When there used to be, I guess, a two-cent coin. But I'm yelling at the TV. I'm yelling at him. I want him to win a million dollars. I'm saying, it's two cents. It's two cents. But instead, he backed away, and he went home with only $500,000 that day and didn't answer the question. Thought occurred to me, oh, I would have won $1 million had it not been for one thing. I'm sitting at home in my recliner, and I'm not a contestant. But another thought occurred to me. How much more priceless is it that I have in God I trust stamped on my heart and my mind and that be the mark of my life. You can experience the mark of God, the authority of God in your life, just one thing stopping you. You must not sit back, but with due diligence, give Jesus authority over every part of your life and every part of your heart. Giving God authority is due him. When Abraham Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation setting the slaves free, he said with conviction, he signed it and he said with conviction, these three words, that will do. When Jesus hung on the cross and gave his life and took the penalty of our sin and they were placed upon him, he died on the cross for us. When all was done, he said these three words. It is finished. Jesus has done everything so that you might be able to know the authority of God firsthand and you can trust who's in charge. We must pray, trusting in Him, giving Him all authority. As believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are to recognize the authority of God upon our life and upon our heart. We must give it to Him every day. We must be sure that he has authority on every part, not holding anything back to him. If you're listening today, if you're here today, and you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, you wonder and you want to trust in something else. You want to trust in the government? You want to trust in this world, the things of this world? Surely you know by now that's a dead end. You must give authority over to the Lord Jesus, asking Christ to forgive you of all your sins, asking Jesus to come in to be your Savior and Lord. And the Bible says that he will be your Savior. He will come into your heart. He'll save you. And you can be sure that you have a home in heaven today. Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, we come to you even at this time. We thank you, Father, for your word, how it speaks to us. And Father, we thank you for the practicality of God's word. We pray, Father, that we might be able to see the one who is in charge of all things and that we might once we're convinced of that, be sure that Christ has authority over every part of our life. If there's one here that does not know you as Lord and Savior, one listening today, may today be the day of salvation that they call upon you. If there's somebody that is unsure, well, today they can be sure, praying a prayer of assurance that they can ask Christ to forgive all sin, ask Christ to be Savior and Lord. And Jesus says that he will be Lord of our life and he'll give us and provide us salvation, not by our own works, but by grace through faith. Thank you, Father, for your presence here today. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.